Thank you for joining me once again. I'm your host, Emily, and you're listening to the Restoring Virtue podcast. I hope you're feeling more and more like yourself every day. In this sixth episode, we'll talk about what forgiveness is and what it is not, and by the end, I hope you'll see that forgiveness is something that you not only can do, but are already doing. This episode will be a little different than the others. Instead of discussing a variety of gospel topics, let's have a heart-to-heart, just a couple of friends, me and you. Before we get too deep, though, take a moment, as much time as you need, to reflect and feel whatever feelings this word brings up. The word is forgiveness. Okay, let's talk. Forgiveness, like love, is almost impossible to define. The single word forgive is not sufficient for the variety of interactions that can take place between two people. Specific interactions might be better served with another word, such as patience, when dealing with a child who misbehaves, or a person who is on some level unaware due to a mental illness or disability. The word excuse may fit when a person knowingly does something to offend another, but being angry at them is pointless, such as an encounter with road rage. Absolve may fit when an injury is inflicted by one party upon another. For example, maybe that one party stole something or lied, then was genuinely sorry, made a full apology, and promised not to repeat the behavior. Tolerance may be needed when both parties played a part in a wrongdoing and both agree to work on the problem together. The word forgiveness can feel like a burden to a victim of sexual trauma. When we attach meaning and application to the word that is not suited for abuse, we may believe that forgiveness means we're giving up on our story, or excusing abusive behaviors, or relieving others of the consequences of their actions. The word forgiveness is more suited to describe the power God has to heal all wounds, transform weakness into strengths, and permanently exonerate sin. Before we touch on what forgiveness is in regards to the sexually traumatized, let's put to rest what forgiveness is not. Number one, forgiveness is neither forced, compelled, nor coerced. Second, Denying our own needs for the sake of keeping peace is not forgiveness. Third, the choice to forget, move on, or leave the past behind is not forgiveness. Number four, forgiveness is not an acceptance of evil acts, nor of the people who perpetrate them. Finally, number five, suppressing painful emotions is not forgiveness. Okay, I think we've covered it. Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 read, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word forgiveness is not found in this scripture in Matthew, yet it is the perfect scripture to describe forgiveness after sexual abuse. It is a burden lifted. 
its deliverance from pain, its rest for the traumatized soul. Forgiveness is the voluntary decision to change your attitude or perspective regarding a given offense. Many descriptions of forgiveness include the word release or the phrase letting go. Forgiveness is anything typically done by virtue that releases emotional pressure between two people. I'm going to repeat that. Forgiveness is anything typically done by virtue that releases emotional pressure between two people. Take my thoughts, for example. I believe I was wronged, but I can see that you're sorry. I can accept that you're making an effort. I understand that you didn't mean it. I can consider that you are hurting too. I honor that you have your own journey. I'm exercising the virtues of patience, acceptance, understanding, tolerance, and honor in order to release the pressure between me and this imaginary person. Both parties are eased by healing words that reconnect us after conflict. Telling my abuser to his face that I had forgiven him was hands down the scariest thing I've ever done. But I did it, and he heard me, and he told me thank you. Then he told me that he did what he did to me because he didn't feel loved. At first I was put off by that. At the time I thought it was an excuse, and I was not interested in excuses. However, I kept his words in my mind. It took me about three years to process that information. I'm sure there were many reasons and things that happened and decisions he made between not feeling loved and the moment he entered my room. But what his words did for me was to help me see him as human. And when I finally could see, I felt compassion for him. I do feel compassion for him. This is an experience I've only shared with a few people ever. Now I'm sharing it with you. I'll have you know, though, that that conversation was only one of a few times I've had contact with him in the almost 24 years since I disclosed. I'm not interested in changing that and know that I am right with God in that decision, at least for now. Protective emotions prepare the mind and body for action against an external threat. This is what's known as the fight-or-flight response. Emotions such as anger, fear, or panic protect us from both perceived and actual danger. They're appropriate in certain circumstances, especially circumstances of abuse. They're protective not only because they prepare us for action, but because they hide the more vulnerable emotions, such as betrayal, hurt, and worry. The abused may want to forgive, but we may not feel safe to forgive. Safety is a secondary emotion that is felt after the more basic emotion, peace. When you feel safe, you are at peace. You are not able or likely to be hurt or harmed or taken away or lost. Safety not only implies physical safety from the abuser and those who enable the abuse to be perpetrated, but emotional safety from the loss of connection. All varieties of emotions provide us with information about ourselves and the world around us. They help us know how to respond to a certain situation or event, to be prepared, to ask for help, to speak up, to take a risk. 
This is why the abused feel so confused, because we experience emotions that tell us we did something wrong, when in fact we have not. The injustice of sexual abuse is that the abused suffer the consequences of the wrong without having committed the wrong, the shame, the guilt, the judgment, the isolation, then must pay the demand for healing. You're paying the price for something you did not do. So to clear up the confusion, you are not wrong for feeling angry. You feel angry because you were wronged. So acknowledge that anger is the correct human response to the information. However, if you stay angry, you will remain in the downward spiral of abuse and continue to cycle around that emotion again and again. The question is then, if we need to be safe to forgive, how do we get to safety? We cannot feel safe while experiencing the protective emotions because although protective emotions have a biological purpose, they are not in tune with the divine nature. Protective emotions don't provide safety, they provide protection, and protection is a defensive response. It pushes away connection. So now we have pushed people away and caused our own loss. But the most important connection that is lost in this protective state is the connection between body and spirit. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25 supports this. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The answer to our question is, you make a sacrifice of your anger to get to safety. When you make a sacrifice of your anger, it will make room for the divine nature to feel safe. And then the thing that will be gained is protection from God. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, before Moses leads the children of Israel through the Red Sea, he tells them to fear not and to stand still, that the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. I feel safe when I accept my limitations. I feel safe when I allow myself to make mistakes. I feel safe when I give myself permission to do better. I also feel safe in the house of the Lord, the actual temple building. The most significant spiritual experience I've ever had was inside the walls of the temple. I'd spent my whole life wondering who I'd be if that hadn't happened. I imagined the woman I was, quote, supposed to be. She was a more supportive wife, a more patient and kind mother, and a more giving friend. She was more confident. She was happier. She spoke more eloquently. She made better cookies. Seriously, <laughs> she was better in every way. To tell you the truth, I was jealous of her. What finally set my feelings of forgiveness into motion was the moment I realized I was better than her, that woman I was supposed to be. I asked myself, who would I be if that hadn't happened? Certainly not the woman staring back at me in the mirror in the bride's room of the temple. She would not exist if it were not for all the physical and emotional pain, weakness, death, and sorrow. And yes, she was pretty amazing. For the first time in my life, I had a desire to pray for my abuser. I went to the temple and sat on a crisp white couch. A glass chandelier hung from the high ceiling, casting a brilliant glow over the room. 
Although the peacefulness of the temple already created a sense of reverence, I closed my eyes and bowed my head. I asked God to watch over that person and his family, to take care of him and help him. I asked God to release me from my burden. And he did. I did have a tangible interaction with God, a release, not a whisper of love or comfort, but it seemed as if the actual chemistry of my body changed, amended in some way. It was not like anything I had ever experienced before. It was a deeply personal, intimate, joined, and incredible interaction with God. In summary, it is important to avoid confusion, to understand the different forms of forgiveness, and that all forms are virtuous. Forgiving doesn't mean that trauma didn't happen. It means that trauma happened, you acknowledged it, processed it, and then released it. You were able to do this because you were willing to make a sacrifice in order to feel safe. These words from Apostle Neil L. Anderson are helpful in reiterating what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not excusing accountability or failing to protect ourselves, our families, or other innocent victims. Forgiveness is not continuing in a relationship with someone who is not trustworthy. Forgiveness is not condoning injustice. Forgiveness is not dismissing the hurt we feel because of the actions of others. Forgiveness is not forgetting, but remembering in peace. Forgiveness for victims of sexual trauma is living without debilitating fear, anger, or anxiety. Honestly, sometimes I forget that I was abused. This personal ministry to provide hope to the hopeless is the only thing I have that connects me back to my trauma. I have no physical or emotional reaction of remembrance. You may be convinced that this is impossible. It is impossible. That's why forgiveness is a miracle, an extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers, an event brought about by the power of God. In his book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, Prophet and President Spencer W. Kimball taught, the essence of the miracle of forgiveness is that it brings peace to the previously anxious, restless, frustrated, and perhaps tormented soul in a world of turmoil and contention, this is indeed a priceless gift. Although I was released from the burden of abuse, there are yet other people in my life that I have not forgiven. I'm still working on it, just like you. If forgiveness is a change in perspective, I ask you now, how has your perspective changed? I want to personally invite you to listen to my last and final episode in this series of the Restoring Virtue podcast, where we'll talk about, well, I'm not quite sure yet. This is the spot where I stand on my own path to healing. Forgiving brought me so much relief, but it was not the end of my story. Four years after publishing my book, I felt a call to make yet another sacrifice, there was a beautiful piece of property in the Matanuska Valley, 45 miles from where I lived. God promised me that this would be a safe place for my family and that there would be peace for me here. And so I packed up and sold my home 
and left the life I'd built. But the valley turned out to be an actual spiritual valley, void of that peace and safety. Instead, I have experienced conflict in every area of my life, and a darkness took over once again. My faith has not been shaken, nor my knowledge of God's love, but the conflict broke me. I felt a deep sense of failure, and my personal ministry had almost been lost until I started working on this project. At first it was hard. I took a step, and then another, and then light came pouring back into my life. When I experience the seventh episode, I'll write it and share it with you. The number seven has great significance to God who created the world in seven days. Most likely not in seven literal 24-hour days, but the number seven represents that his creation was complete. And of course, we're familiar with the doctrine of forgiveness, that it is a commandment. When Peter asked the Lord in Matthew chapter 18, verse 11 through 12, if he should forgive seven times, the response was no, until 70 times seven. Here again, the number seven means complete, to forgive completely. According to the Bible, Israelite law calls for debts to be canceled and slaves to be freed after seven years. When the leper Naaman came to the prophet Elisha to be healed, he was instructed to bathe seven times in the river Jordan. These examples show a connection between the number seven and freedom and healing. There are also examples in the Bible of God using the number seven in connection to his covenant promises, including our rainbow, which consists of seven colors. There must be something else that has made my story not complete. I'm not sure what it is. I'm still waiting for the answer. But when the answer comes, I believe it will come with the peace and safety God has promised me. Finally, I just want to tell you that I'm so proud of you. 